The Lord says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is God's word. May he write it upon our hearts and sanctify our souls through his word for the glory of his name. You may be seated. Would you join me now and let's bow before the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, you are high and exalted. King above all kings, the Lord above all lords. You are the sovereign ruler of all creation. The earth is yours and all that contains the seas and all that dwells in them. All creation has but one express purpose, to glorify your great, mighty, worthy name. And so we must understand, as we come to your word, that your word has a purpose Your word has a purpose specifically in our lives, and that is to sanctify us, to conform us to the image and the person of Christ so that we might glorify your name. So, Lord, our prayer and our purpose today is to do exactly that. Our request, God, is that you would help us in this endeavor. Lord, would you... Give your spirit in a strong and powerful way to instruct our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray specifically that you would help us to focus. Help us to put away distraction. Help us to give attention to your word. Help our hearts to be soft and plowed ground that's ready and eager to receive and apply the truth. Pray that you would plant seeds of the truth in our heart and then that you would cause those seeds to bear fruit. Lord, as your son said, may we bear much fruit and in doing so glorify your name. Lord, would you also fix our gaze and our attention on Christ. May we understand that our access to you Our access to eternal life, the means of our justification is Christ and Christ alone. Lord, I pray that you would do a great work in our hearts today. Pray that we would put away sin, that we would put away all slothfulness in spiritual life, that you would cause us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling walk in a manner worthy of the name and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, teach us by your Spirit. 
break us over sin by your spirit and build us up to walk in righteousness by your spirit. Pray this for your glory and in Christ's name, amen. So again, just to briefly summarize, because we're at the end of a section and kind of want to understand what gets us here. You think back to verses 11 through 13 of 1 John chapter 3, and there John instructed with the call to Christ-like love, the priority of love. He said, this is a a commandment from of old, from the beginning. From the beginning of God's creation, the call to the Lord's people is that we walk in love for one another. In verses 14 through 18, we saw the display of this love. That we are to walk in this love, we are to walk according to the pattern of Christ, and we are to practice real, outworking, genuine love, not just in word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. And as we live in light of those exhortations, what we see is that there will be clear, present, active results. The result of that is that your heart, dear friend, if you walk according to the Lord's word, your heart will be assured before him. That should be greatly encouraging, that if you walk in love, the Lord will give you confidence that you are indeed in Christ. Not only that, but you will have confidence as you come before his throne of grace. In your fellowship and communion with the Lord, you will be able to come boldly and with confidence because you realize that Christ indeed is your great high priest. And you come as one washed in his blood. You come as one who has life in his name. John covers kind of a broad range of topics in in these verses. And in a way, you know, you read it and it feels a little bit maybe disjointed. But you understand, I hope, the theme. I hope you see the theme that we must live convictional lives, believing in Christ, loving one another, abiding in him, and walking in the Spirit, obeying his word. And then when we do that, we have assurance in our salvation. We have confidence when we go to the Lord to make our needs and requests known to him. We have confidence, we have assurance, because we're walking in Christ. Because you are of the truth. So John is doing here what any good under-shepherd of Christ would do. Remember, John was serving practically as a pastor to these people that he is writing to. John acts as a good under-shepherd of Christ, and he tells the saints to be encouraged because they are in the Savior. John anchors all of this in Christ. He says, we will know by this that we are of the truth. Who is the truth but Jesus Christ? I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. So John ties us into Christ. He anchors us upon the Savior. We have confidence before God, not because of our obedience in and of itself, but because this obedience Because this love serves as evidence that Christ has made us new and made us alive. As we just mentioned, as as Hebrews 4 outlines so clearly, we have confidence in our fellowship with God, not because of any merit of our own, 
but because the great high priest, Jesus Christ the Lord, ever lives and intercedes on our behalf. This confident hope finds root in convictional living. That's the tie-in to verses 23 and 24. It's kind of a third blessing, a third result of walking in this love, and it's that it brings out these convictional lives where we abide in the Lord and we know that we're abiding in Him because His Spirit abides in us. A life dedicated to Christ should result in great hope in Him. A life dedicated to Christ, when you live as one dedicated to the Lord, you should have great hope and great confidence in your Savior. So, to, to draw this together, to give you kind of a, a primary aim and thesis of our time this morning, I would say that practicing Christ-like love yields a purely convinced heart before the Lord and boldly confident fellowship with Him. When you walk in these convictions of the truth, you will have a purely convinced heart. Your heart will be convinced because of the purity of your life. And you will have bold, confident access to the Lord. So that's really the, out, the, the outline as well. Our convinced hearts, our confident fellowship, and our convictional lives. Verses 19 and 20, the first result of Christ-like love is that we have convinced hearts. Verse 19, we will know by this that we are of the truth. And this will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. You know, I want to emphasize, and I want to stress, this ought to be a great encouragement to your soul. This should build you up and press you on that John says, you are of the truth. You are of Christ. You belong to him. You have life in him. That should give you great hope in the midst of turbulent and great trial, turbulent times and great trial and tribulation. So I just want to break verses 19 and 20 down kind of bit by bit because we need to understand the basis and what John, why John says we should have convinced hearts before the Lord. Firstly, he ties it back in, of course, to what he just said. We will know by this. We'll know by this that we love not in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. That is what we must walk in if we want to have assurance of our faith. The truth must always bound and be prioritized in our love, but we must not love coldly just with the truth, but also in deed. We must not just speak our love for one another, but our love should be evident in how we live our lives together. And John says we will know by this, not we will think by this, not we will hope by this, not we will start to wonder if maybe we're of the truth by this, but we will know by this, by this love, that we are of the truth. This is a surety. This is a guarantee. When you display sacrificial Christ-like love, you know 
beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are in Christ. You can lay your head down at night and you can know whatever may come the next day that you are in him. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. If you have walked with the Lord very long, you know the ups and downs of spiritual life. You know the battles, even as one who is in Christ, you know the battles that you still fight. Maybe even decades into walking with the Lord, the battles you still fight with fleshliness. If you walk in Christ, surely you probably can even see areas in your life where you may have thought when you were first saved, yeah, I will conquer that sin now and it will be over and done with, and yet you still battle with it years and years and years later. But despite those battles with the flesh, if you walk in love, your heart assures you before the Lord that you are in Christ. You think about this, you could illustrate this by thinking about the relationship of children and their parents, right? When your children know that you love them, they have this confidence before you. And when they have this confidence, what does your child usually want to do when they know your love? Often they want to obey you. They want to devote their lives to you because they see your love and devotion to them. That should be us as we consider the love of the Lord for us and the surety that we have as a result of his love. We should walk in obedience. What is the reason? What is the grounding, maybe, of this assurance. John says, we will know by this that we are of the truth. So let's come back to that phrase, of the truth. You are of Christ. Think back to the trial of Jesus, John chapter 18. He's before Pilate. He's about to go be crucified. Pilate, in verse leading up to verse 37, Pilate asked him, well, are, are you a king? And Jesus said, John 18, 37, I am a king. For this I've been born, and for this I've come into the world to testify to the truth. And Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears his voice. In John chapter 10, what did he say? That his sheep know and hear his voice. He said, I know them and they follow me. You are of the truth because you are a sheep of the good shepherd. You belong to him. He keeps you. He protects you. He sustains you. The good shepherd loses none that are his. So pull out from this context. This is the result of walking in love. But the grounds of this convinced heart that you have as you walk in love is not because you walk in love. It's because you are of the truth. Because you belong to to Christ. You know, we live in an individualistic age. As we do, in this age that we live in, it's often a, a term of derision to look around and say, look at all the sheep. You know, they'll just go and follow whatever, whatever they're told. They just kind of move around in masses. That's what the general public does today. And oftentimes that's not good because we live in a wicked time. But let's remember, as the church, we are sheep. We together are of the same nature. We have the same 
purpose. We belong to Christ, and we should follow our shepherd like sheep. So we see the masses out there, and they they move around like a herd of mindless sheep following whatever the wicked ways of the world tells them. And we don't want to be like the world, but we collectively as a body ought to move around like a herd of sheep because we're following the voice and the instruction and the care and the protection of our shepherd. That is because, dear friend, you are of the truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. This means to be persuaded. It's the literal translation of assurance. To be persuaded, to be made to agree with something. Understand, yes, we are being persuaded. We are being assured here. But it's really not an act that we're doing. It's not an action that we are taking. It's the Lord acting upon us. It's the Lord assuring us through his promises and his power the powerful outworking of his spirit being in us and transforming our lives. If you think about your life's work before the Lord, surely there's not much confidence because in your own work, your life's work will completely fall short. We all completely miss the mark. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Nothing of your own doing gives you good standing Before the Lord, nothing of your own doing assures your heart before God. But because your life proves that you are in Christ through transformation, through holy and sanctified living, because your life proves that you are in him, your heart assures you. The Lord grants your heart to stand before him with great confidence. So simply to to draw this out a little bit, no one can give you assurance of your salvation in and of themselves. No pastor, no mentor, no parent, no friend can look you in the eye and say, oh yeah, I know that you are in Christ. It's not ours to do. It's not our pronouncement, our judgment to make. But what we can do for one another is submit ourselves to God's word. Submit ourselves to the truth and, and let the truth instruct. We can point one another to the finished work of the cross, to God's promise that salvation is by grace through faith to all who believe. We can encourage one another because we see in Scripture what are the outworkings of genuine spiritual life. And when you see a brother or sister walking in those, like the love we're talking about here, then you can offer encouragement that that life aligns with the scriptures. Some of you may have seen, it's one of the, I think really one of the most moving videos I've ever seen. It's John MacArthur on a Sunday night when they do Q&As at at his church occasionally. He has this young girl, 10 years old or so, walk up to the microphone and basically ask him, how do I know if I'm saved? Well, again, MacArthur nor any of us have the authority to just say, just because, you know, you were baptized, you did this, you did that. What MacArthur did and what we must do is walk through the scriptures. He asked the little girl, he said, do you believe in Jesus? That he's the son of God, lived a perfect life and died on the cross taking the punishment of your sin. She affirmed, 
He asked her, had she repented of her sins and placed her faith and trust in Christ? Just as Scripture says, how will they, how will they have faith without believing? She affirmed. He asked her then, did she want to obey the Lord? Did she have a desire to know him and to read his word? And she affirmed. And he said, that is biblical evidence that you are making a profession of genuine faith. It's drawing back to the scriptures. How does the scripture give you assurance of faith? That is our duty to one another. That is the authority that we have because it's no authority of our own. We're drawing out the truth of God's word. What does it look like? What does God's word command we must do in order to be saved? What I would suggest here then is that we must be careful of the ditches on either side of the road of assurance. We must not oversimplify the transforming work of Christ. So that's one ditch that you just kind of treat the transforming work of Christ as trivial and unimportant. But on the uh, on that same road, but on the other side of it, we understand that we must not overcomplicate the idea that salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. So, so those are our two guardrails. Don't overly simplify. Don't overly complicate. Look to the Word and use what the Word says and instructs. When the truth is brought to bear, the Lord assures our hearts through the truth. Now, I hope you guys may have read these verses closely enough to realize that what we just did at the end of verse 19 was actually missed that the sentence continues right on into verse 20 without a pause. We, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. Our hearts will be assured in the face of condemnation. Now, let's think clearly again with this. If your heart condemns you today because of unrepentant sin, because of continual sin against the Lord, my hope and my prayer and my encouragement to you would be you remain in that state of condemnation until you are ready to repent. Okay, so think clearly here. If your heart condemns you because you will not repent of sin, then you are condemned. You need to stay in that position of feeling condemned until you are willing to come repent. That shame and that weight and that guilt of sin is what the Lord uses to bring sinners to repentance. Think about the instruction from King David in Psalm 32. He said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. If you keep silent and secret and unrepentant in your sin, my prayer is because I love you and value your eternal soul. My prayer is that your vitality would be drained from you because of the weight of your sin against God. But what does John actually say here? He said, we'll know by our love, by walking in Christ-like love, that we are of the truth, 
and this will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. If you are a repenter, if you are consistently confessing and turning from your sin, if you are giving this evidence of walking in Christ and having life in him, dear friend, in whatever your heart condemns you, allow the Lord's grace to give you peace. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Dear friend, if you are under the weight of sin today, but you are a repenter and you are a confessor, dear friend, allow God's truth to speak to and to encourage your heart. And whatever your heart condemns you, realize that you are in Christ and there is no condemnation for those who are in Him. John continues, he said, God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. The Lord knows every sin that you're going to commit. He knows every sin that you have committed. And yet he says your heart should be assured because you're walking as one who is in Christ. The Lord knows all whom he has chosen. From eternity, before creation, the Lord knew and knows who will be his, whom he will choose. Your heart may condemn you, but God's grace in Christ frees you from that condemnation. What did Paul say in Romans 8.1? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Towards the glorious end of that eight chapter of Romans. What did he say? Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear friend, be like Paul. We haven't gotten this far in Romans yet in our Bible study time, but perhaps you know what happened in Romans 7 right preceding that glorious pronouncement. Romans 7, Paul gives this, this just dialogue of how wretched and how sinful he is. Some even read it, and I don't agree with this interpretation, but some even read it and wonder if Paul was actually saved. And I don't know how you can be spirit-inspired and not be saved. Another discussion for another day. But Paul wrote, and it, he was just so open about his battle with sin, his battle against the flesh. And then he comes to Romans 8. There's no condemnation. Be like Paul. Romans 7, verse 24, ends with Paul saying, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Who is there to deliver me from the body of this death? But then he says, Therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. No sinful thought, no sinful motive, no sinful word, no sinful deed. Nothing is hidden from his sight. He sees and knows all things. And yet he still, when you are in Christ, declares that you are not guilty. Dear friend, rejoice in that hope. What blessed assurance. We fall so short. But the Lord sees the new heart that he's placed within us.
glory in that? Why should you be convinced and assured of your salvation? It's not because of anything you've done. It's not because of your merit. It's not because you were righteous in any way, but because Christ was perfectly righteous on your behalf. It's not because your good works will outweigh the cost of your sin. It's because Christ took your sin in his body. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's our hope. That's why our hearts assure us. Because we walk in that new life of righteousness, which is almost climactically seen in loving one another. So we should have convinced hearts, but we also should have, and this is a shift in gears, but it's still here in the same paragraph, the same section, we should also have confident fellowship. When we walk in Christ, we should have confident fellowship. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So John is building on what he's just said. If you walk in Christ, your heart should be assured. You should walk in hopeful confidence. So let's just think about that confidence for one more moment, and then we'll move on. But in this, dear friend, let us understand that it does not glorify the Lord for us to walk and be alive in Christ and yet doubt our salvation. Should we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Yes, absolutely. That's biblical. But let's strive always to come to this place in this position of ultimate confidence and hope. If you're walking in sin, you don't need to have this confidence because your sin will condemn you if you're not repentant and if you don't believe in Christ. But if you're in Him, you should have this blessed assurance, and this assurance glorifies the Lord. If you have this assurance, you have confidence before the Lord's throne of grace. If your heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is not speaking to judgment. This is really the exact same almost context and statement that John will make in chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And what he's talking about is prayer, fellowship, communion with the Lord. Your assurance of faith should work itself out in a confident, growing prayer life. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Red, I forget, it was one of the commentaries that I read. Uh, one of the commentators quoted a man named B.F. Westcott who was an 1800s scholar and pastor, he said of this confidence, he said, this is the boldness with which the Son appears before the Father. This is not that with which the accused appears before the judge. It's like a child before his father or mother. Just think about your children, if you're so blessed as to have them. Your children... When they know that you love them especially, they will literally ask you for anything. They think that you will move heaven and earth on, on 
their behalf. Just because they, they want something, they just have this trust and this dependence. And they come with this confidence and this boldness. And in a way, that's how we ought to be before our Father, our Heavenly Father. We come to Him with all of our cares, all of our desires, all of our anxieties, all of our struggles, all of our pressures, and all of our hopes. And dear friend, that does not mean that we are flippant in our prayer. It doesn't mean that we treat prayer trivially or, or as some like magic lamp where we can just go and we get whatever we want. But we come before the Lord and we make our requests known to Him because He is a good, kind, loving Father. And one challenge... I think, and I've, I've experienced it, so I don't, I guess not I think, but one challenge that I've experienced, and I think it's common to us as more reformed-minded, more Calvinistic, more sovereignty-of-God-minded people, one challenge is that I think we pray weekly. We pray, pray without strength, not we pray every seven days, but we pray without strength. We tend, I think, to over-caveat our prayers, and it's for a good purpose. We want to submit ourselves to the Lord. Lord, if it's your will, do and accomplish this. But consider, when you pray that way, are you really just trying to give the Lord a kind of a, a get-out-of-jail-free card? Or is it really because it comes from a heart of submission? And I can't tell you which one of those is the answer. What I can tell you is that we need to pray with faithful expectance that the Lord will answer and hear our prayers. Consider what Jesus himself said about prayer in Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, verses 9 through 13. He said, So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of your fathers asked by his son is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? She said then, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will your heavenly Father hear your prayer and give you good things that accord with his will for your growth and sanctification and for his glory? Dear friend, pray boldly. Pray with faith. The Lord knows your hearts and your needs. Do you realize that? He knows every need before you bring it to him. So pray openly and pray boldly. And take your needs before the Lord Almighty because he delights to hear your prayers. There's a balance here. The balance comes at the end of verse 22. And whatever we ask, we'll receive from him. Then John says, we do this, we know this, we have confidence in this because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. That ought to be one of the most informative statements in all of Scripture about prayer. We have confidence when we pray because we walk actively 
with the Lord. We're submitted to his will. Our ultimate desire is not that we have these requests answered, but that the Lord is glorified in all things. Walking in obedience and doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. And those are the things we long for. Those are the things then that we pray for. Some of you may have heard me kind of in jest say you follow your heart and there's a, a scriptural backing to that in the proper context. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. But you can't get the second part without the first. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in his glory. Be like Jesus and say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Delight in the Lord like that and he will give you the desires of your heart. Our ultimate prayer must be full of faith. It must be submitted to the Lord just like Jesus, our Savior, in the garden. What did he pray? Lord, if possible, take this cup from me. If possible, let me do exactly the opposite of what I'm about to go do. But what did he follow that with? Not my will, but yours be done. Faith-filled, fervent, submissive praying should mark our lives. Dear friend, it should mark in your life so that you can model it and teach it and show it to your children. We need to teach our kids to pray faithfully and fervently while they're young so they grow up to be mighty prayer warriors before the Lord. It's a lot of times... As scripture tells us, we don't have because we don't ask. Or we ask with the wrong motives. In the year ahead, you know, we're coming to the end of a year, and so we can start thinking about goals and, and things that we would like to grow in in the year ahead. Dear friend, I hope high on your list is your prayer. Your confidence and your fellowship and your communion with the Lord that you would come before him with great, great, strengthening, growing faith. It's not arrogant to pray with bold and hopeful expectation. In fact, as we read in James chapter 1, to pray with hopeful and bold expectation is actually the opposite of being sinful and double-minded. It's what the Lord calls us to do, to pray with faith. To pray with humility Submitting ourselves to the Lord, having confidence in Him, but we pray with expectation that we are going to pray what is in line with His will, and we realize that with God all things are possible. So walking in Christ-like love should result in convinced hearts and confident fellowship, and then convictional lives is the third heading, verses 23. In 24, this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and the Lord abides in that one, and we know by this that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. 
So I would say this is both maybe a result of and a root of our hope in the Lord. It's a result of our loving Christ and a root of our loving Christ that we have this strong conviction in him. Ultimately, it sums up in this blessing of the Spirit of God abiding in us. So what are the three convictions that ought to mark our life? It's the three convictions, the three truths, the three exhortations that mark the first epistle of John. It's right belief, right obedience, and right love. What John writes here is of belief and love and obedience that comes through spirit-filled living. This is his commandment, verse 23, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. You will never have assurance of your salvation if you don't have a personal, growing, devotional, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The commandment is that you believe in him, that you're assured of him, that you walk with him. Think about the heresies that the churches of John's day faced. Is that they would, the Gnostics would come in and try to make a Jesus who was not the Jesus of the Bible. They would say he was either God or he was man. He couldn't have been truly God and truly man. Well, to have assurance of your faith, you must believe in the Jesus of the Bible. We may not face the Gnostics today. But we face all kinds of heretical beliefs about who Jesus is. And if you want to love him, and if you want to have assurance of your walk with him, and if you want to have confident hope in your fellowship and communion with the Lord, you need to believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And a lot of that begins with us as a church standing upon all of God's truth. We can't just pick and choose. We can't be soft on some things, but we must stand upon all of it, because that's what heretics, that's how heresies get into the churches. We're soft on one thing, and deceivers come in because we're soft in that one area, and then their deceit and their falsehood will just continue to, to grow and grow and grow. So stand firm on Christ. We must stand firm on all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. This belief is not the only conviction you must need. You must walk in light of the conviction of God's command to love. This is commandment that we believe in the name of his son and that we love one another just as he loved us, just as he commanded us. Now, I want to drive this home very briefly. We've talked a lot about love in the last couple of weeks, and we'll talk about it more after Christmas and into the new year when we get into chapter 4, but I want to just think about this for a moment. If our conviction in our Christian lives is that we must love one another, that is something that we will diligently pursue at all times. You will actively and devotedly pursue brotherly love. You don't need a kick in the pants to do something that you love, to strive in something that you love. You don't need to be pressed on to love your family, to love your children. A godly father does not need to be pushed to love his children. We as followers of Christ, as brothers and sisters in the Lord's family, shouldn't need to be constantly pushed to love 
and invest in one another. Dear friend, we should love our fellow saints well and fervently. Again, looking forward, thinking about objectives and goals for the new year. Friends, I would encourage you to challenge yourself to love one another better and with more truth in the year ahead. The final conviction is this idea of spirit-filled living. Abiding in the Lord and Him abiding in you through the Spirit that He's given you. The one who keeps the Lord's commandments abides in Him and the Lord abides in that one. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. We know that we abide in the Lord when we walk by the Spirit. We know that we walk by the Spirit when we see the fruit of the Spirit in our life. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want to have confidence before the Lord, if you want to have confidence in your prayer life, walk by the Spirit. Don't say, oh, I need to increase in, in my love and my patience. I need to walk in all of the fruit of the Spirit. These cannot be separated. The fruit of the Spirit is one thing. It's the Spirit working in us and all of these items working out and increasing in our lives. Increasing confidence and growing communion come when we walk by the Spirit. So the question is, do you walk by the Spirit? Or do you walk according to the desires of your flesh? Dear friend, there is nothing more crippling to the assurance of salvation than fleshly living. You should never have confidence in your salvation if you're living according to the flesh. We must know and be convinced and be convicted of our need to live spirit-filled lives. So may we, as John began this section in verse 11, said this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. May we love one another. May we do it by following the example of Christ. What did he say in verse 16? We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. As we walk in love, the Lord will convince our hearts. As you love Christ and love one another, He love one another. He will give you assurance. If you think your prayer life is dull or cold or needs to be increased, perhaps you should start with the outworking of your salvation. Perhaps you should start with loving the Lord more and loving others more. You love others more, you're going to pray for others more, and that immediately will increase your communion with the Lord. Praying people is people who are being conformed to Christ. A people who walks in assurance is people who knows and is being conformed to Christ. May we live these convictional lives, loving one another, and walking in great confidence, and may that embolden us to love the Lord, to proclaim Christ, and to seek his glory 
in all things. May we labor and strive and toil for God's glory in all of life. And walk by a spirit so we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh to the glory of his name. Let's pray.